Hey, this is Lee Snow, the preacher for the Warm Springs Road Church of Christ here in Columbus, Georgia. And you have found our podcast. We hope that this message inspires you, that it equips you, and that it builds your faith in Jesus Christ like never before. If you have any questions or you want to tell us your story, we'd love to hear from you. Please feel free to reach out at any time. We are here for you. We're here for each other. Most importantly, we're here for the Lord. All right, now that we've wrapped up those quick announcements, let's just jump right into our Bible study tonight. If you want, you can go ahead and open up to Psalm chapter 139. Psalm 139. We're going to read the entire psalm, actually, uh, but we're specifically going to focus on the last two verses, verse 23 and 24. Are you ready? Let's dive right in. Psalm chapter 139, verse number 1. Let's read it. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my paths and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. Verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If, If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. Verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are the works my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Verse 17. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake and I am still with you. Verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies, take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with a complete hatred. David was a faithful man. David was a man who, if you look at verse number one, he's he's a man who knows God. He's a man who understands 
who God is. He's also a man who understands where God is. He knows that without doubt, everywhere that he goes, whether it's in the middle of a pandemic or whether it's at home when he's, when he's dealing with struggles and trials, he understands that God is always there with him. He knows who he is. He understands the concept that God is always with me, that there's never a moment in my life when God is not there. But he's also a man who who understands where he came from. Look at verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. He understands not only who God is, but he understands who he is. He understands that he is a creature that is made in the image of God, Genesis 1.26. And he is a man who understands that without God, he would be absolutely nothing. But that's not just it. See, Psalm 139 is a great example of what is faithfulness. Faithfulness starts with understanding who God is. It it goes on to understand where God is. The, The idea that God is always with me. Faithfulness also needs the person to understand that that I'm not I'm not self-sufficient. I'm here because of God and understand where God where they came from. But then let's go on, verse 17. Faithfulness not only understands where you came from and who God is, faithfulness also hangs upon the word of God. If I'm going to be a faithful Christian, I'm going to be a person who hangs on the word of God. Verse 17, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I am awake and I am still with you. David was a man who hung upon the word of God. He meditated day and night that the Psalms would say. But that's not it. Faithfulness doesn't just stop there. A lot of Christians think that faithfulness is is simply, I know who God is, I kind of understand that I need him, and I read the Bible. But look at verse 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God, O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Faithfulness is also... The mindset that I hate sin. I hate anything that is against God. Have you ever noticed that our prayers can be slightly sanitary at times? Maybe not in a time of pandemic like we're dealing with now, because now people are actually understanding who God is, and they're actually open to praying, because we're facing something that has never existed in our lifetimes, and the last time it actually happened was a hundred years ago, and no one, no one that was alive during that time has ever faced this. And so our faith our faith is being tested just as much as our healthcare system, just as much as our governmental system, just as much as our economy. Our faiths are being tempted as well. But normal prayer, the prayer that you and I pray, the, the prayers that you and I pray on a regular basis are usually somewhat sanitary. I mean, think about the things that we pray for. We pray for things like, be with me. Well, that's, that's rather safe. He's always there. We, we pray for things like, protect me. That's really safe because he's always protecting us. His providence, his reign falls on the just and the unjust, Jesus would say. Bless me. Okay. That's getting a little more into it. But what about about prayers like this? I want you to be with the sick. 
That's, that's rather predictable. All of us pray for the sick at some point or another if we're prayerful people. Because we've been trained to pray for the sick. Bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to your service. That's really predictable, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with praying that. It's not a vain repetition as long as you're meaningful in it. But overwhelmingly, the prayers that we pray on a regular basis are rather safe. They're rather sanitary. They're, they're rather predictable. But now let's go on to read the last two verses in Psalm 139. Verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there is any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. That prayer is anything but sanitary. It's anything but safe. And so what I want to do over the next little bit is I want to study that prayer that comes in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Because I think there's something that we can learn from it as we're going through this time. Now let's back up for just a second before we get there, because we need to set the groundwork for the kind of, of deep, heartfelt prayer that David is praying. If you back up to verses 19 through 22, when he prays about how he hates sinners, how he hates sin specifically, and thereby hates those who practice sin. Let's talk about that word sinners for just a moment. You know, one of the first times that the word sinner is mentioned is in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21, where the King James Version actually says, He that despiseth his neighbor sinneth, but he that hath mercy on the poor, happy is he. What is a sinner? What, what actually is a sinner? It's someone who despises. It's someone who hates his neighbor. It's an ongoing practice. Well, you've, you've all heard the, the saying, we've all heard the saying. In fact, most of us, if not all of us, have even said the saying. Well, we're all sinners saved by the grace of God. We are. We are. But the question is, when does that cease to happen? In Proverbs 22, in the English Standard Version, which is the one that I've been reading for the majority of our study, says, whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner. King James says, whoever despises his neighbor sinneth, or prolonged practice of sin. ESV translates that prolonged practice of sin into the simple word, sinner. You see, you're a sinner if you are living a prolonged practice of sin. And David, in Psalm 139, says, I hate that kind of mentality. I hate those people. I don't, I don't hate them because I despise who they are. I don't hate them because I think that they're less human than me, or they're less important than me, or they're less intelligent than me. I hate them because of the lifestyle that they have chose to live is completely against everything that God stands for. And if I'm a Christian, that means that it's completely against everything that, that I stand for. A sinner is someone who prolongs the process, prolongs the action of sin. Again, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21, whoever despises their neighbor 
is a sinner. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 18 says this, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. You see, a sinner is someone who destroys good. A sinner is someone who, who actively works against good. And David hates sinners. And the reason why he prays the prayer in Psalm 139, 23, and 24 is because he never wants to become that kind of person. Luke chapter 15, verse 7 says that, I tell you there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It's, a sinner is someone who lives away from God. And, and, and if they'll repent, a sinner is one who heaven itself praises God when they turn their way. It's not someone who momentarily stumbles from time to time. It's someone who lives it, who has embodied their actions in their personality. Their, their entire person has turned into their sinful actions. So, why does David pray for God to search him in verse 23? It's because David knows that he is just a couple of choices away at any moment from becoming one of those type of people. And it's not because he thinks that he's better than sinners is why he's asking God to search him. It's because he knows that, that I can stumble, I can fall, and if I'm not careful, I can start living a life that is completely separated from the way of God. I can become a sinner if I'm not actively being searched by God. And so he prays, I pray, Lord, that you will search me. That you will find out the ways in which I am falling short. And the implication there is, at the, at the end of the prayer, we're going to talk about this in a second. But the implication of that is, I want you to search me so that you can teach me. Now, I don't want you to take the fact that you and I, if we're living righteous lives, faithful lives, the kind of life that David led, that when he did stumble, he was at least willing to in some way make it right, at least to the best of his ability. And when he did stumble, he was willing to repent. I don't want you to take that and, and get out of that some sort of prideful, well, I'm not a sinner anymore, and so, and so I'm, I'm okay. I don't want you to get that out of it because you and I are in the same position that David was, a man after God's own heart who stumbled in some very big ways from time to time. Because he let his guard down. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 says, Wisdom is better than the weapons of war. We have to have wisdom. You and I have to be able to understand that we need God's help in this. We need God to search us. We also need to understand what Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20 says. Specifically, verse 11, we need to put on the armor of God. Why? Verse 11, to put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You and I need to be active in this and we need the Lord's help. And so David starts his prayer off by saying, Lord, I want you to search me. I want you to find the places in me that need the most work. 
I want you to have your eyes on me constantly. You know, a lot of times people think that, well, I wish God would stop looking so that I could blank. David says, don't ever stop looking at me, Lord. I need you to continually look at me. And then number two, he goes on to say, I want you to search me, O God. I want you to know my heart. And I want you to know my thoughts, ESV says. New King James says, I want you to know my anxieties. Christian Standard Bible says, I want you to know my concerns. So he says, I want you to search me. And I want you to know where I'm falling short of the gospel. And I also want you to know where I am scared the most. Listen, I'm just like you. I'm pretty anxious right now during all of this. I don't know what's going to happen. But outside of what's happening right now, what makes you anxious the most? Is your source of anxiousness the the fact that you want to get married and you haven't been able to yet? Is your source of anxiousness your job? Because you're, you're worried that you might succeed or you might fail. Is your source of anxiousness uh, a bad marriage? Your source of anxiousness is most likely something that you have no control over. David wanted God to not only search him and find the ways in which he was falling short, but he also wanted him to reveal to him, to know his his concerns, his anxiousness, his, his fear. I need the Lord to not only help me when I'm falling short, I also need the Lord's help to get over fears. Because a Christian is one that looks at the world and says, I don't know what is happening right now, but I know the end. See, the beauty of the book of Revelation, which, by the way, we're going to pick up studying once we get back into our building. The, the beauty of the book of Revelation is we win. It's going to be okay. And that's the point of, of a faithful life. A faithful life looks at the, at the world and says, I don't know what's happening right now. I might be scared to death, but God is there. What we fear the most is often the thing in which we trust God the least. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. But how? Will it guard our hearts? Well, it guards our hearts because we know what's coming, like I just said. We know the end. Isaiah chapter 23, verse 6. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How will the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard our hearts? It guards our hearts by us trusting in him by being the kind of person that David was at the beginning of this, where he knows that God is always there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I go to the highest mountain, you're there. God is always with us. In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, he says he will never, 
He will never leave us because he's the, per- he's the person, he's the one who sustains all life. If he takes care of the sparrow, he's going to take care of the person that he died on the cross for. And most importantly, we know what will come of us. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for men once to die, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Listen to me. I don't want you to be afraid to acknowledge what makes you anxious. I don't want you as followers of Jesus Christ, to be afraid to know that it is okay. It's okay to be anxious sometimes. But it's also okay to know that God is there and that you need Him. I want you to be able to pray the prayer that David is praying. I want you to search me and see where I'm falling short of the good news of the gospel, of the way in which you have laid down for me to live the path that is made straight that Paul talks about in Acts chapter 13. And I want you, Lord, to reveal to me what makes me the most anxious. Now, why does David want him to do those things? Why does he pray, search me and reveal my fears or know my fears? It's not just because he just wants God to know about it. It's because of verse 24. And see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way everlasting. He's not going to do it outright. He's not going to tell you to make a left turn or make a right turn or read this Bible verse or read that Bible verse. And what he's going to do is the same thing that he did to Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 12. After Nehemiah had heard about what was happening in Jerusalem, after Nehemiah had gone in front of the king and he had come up with a plan, now Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 12. Then I arose in the night and a few men with me and, and I told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. God never spoke to Nehemiah outright at the beginning of the book. But what God had done is he had given him an understanding of what was happening back home in Jerusalem. He had given him a knowledge of how God wanted Jerusalem to be. And he gave him the opportunity to stand in front of a king. God laid it on his heart by giving him understanding and knowledge and opportunity. And that's how he's going to do that with David. That's how he's going to do that with you and I. When David prays, search me and know my fears, he follows that up with, don't just know those things, but but lead me. Tell me how I can fix those things. You see, God is not going to do something for you that you will not do for yourself. I understand. He needs your help and you need his help because you're free to do whatever you choose to do. And he is free to do whatever he chooses to do, but he's not going to overstep your authority in your own life. He's going to give you the opportunity to make it right. And so David is praying, I want you to do that for me. And so here's my question. Let's wrap it up. Here's my question. What is God leading you to do tonight? Is he leading you to salvation? Has he given you the understanding of the gospel, the knowledge of, of your life and the opportunity to obey the gospel? Is he leading you to restoration? 
Is the thing that God is leading you to do, is the thing that God leads you to do right now, is the thing that God is leading you to do right now to, to understand your fears and your shortcomings and fix them. Every Christian stumbles from one point or another. Every Christian falls short one point or another. But there is a difference in a Christian who stumbles and a Christian who gives up. Have you given up? Is God leading you back to salvation? Do you need to repent of your sins and let the church know so that we can pray for you, so that we can help you, and so that you can be on page with God again? Is God leading you to obey the gospel through baptism, through repentance of sin, confession of his name, and through immersion in water for the forgiveness of your sins, like 1 Peter and like Acts 22 and like Mark 16 all talk about, like Romans 6 included? Is what God leading you to do right now something revolving around ministry? This world is hurting right now. You and I have an opportunity laid in front of us that we may never have again. And the Lord may be leading you to ministry. Maybe the Lord is leading you to reach out to that person that you know is struggling. To call that person you know can't work right now and is dealing with what looks like some pretty serious financial problems in the future. Maybe the Lord is is leading you to minister to the Lord's church in some other way. He's not going to do it outright. He's not going to tell you what you need to do. He's going to give you the opportunity to figure it out. To figure out what you need to do and to step into that. Listen, as we wrap up, let's say a quick prayer before we go. Father, we thank you for your chances that you give us. We thank you for all that you've done for us and for your protection and for your, your leadership and your, your guidance, Father. We pray that through this time you will search us and find the things in which we fall short and you will reveal to us our fears so that we can approach them head on and so that we can become your people, so that we can show the world who you are through how we act right now, Father. Father, we pray that if there is anything that is separating us from you, that you will put it in front of us and give us the opportunity to make it right. Father, we pray for those that are affected by this virus. And Father, we pray for those doctors and nurses and first responders that are watching after them. We pray that you will end this soon. Give us the the willingness and the wisdom to see ourselves through it. And Father, we thank you for all that you do. Father, as we depart, as we end this study, please help us to grow through this so that we can come through this stronger than ever before. And we thank you for the chance to do so. It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.